Are we recording? Oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. Macho. Oh man, that's Vincy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Going, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour, right? you're good by the next day as long as you had a sandwich and a net. All right, so here we are again. We'll be starting a new series of podcasts. Um, we actually don't, I don't know how many podcasts we're going to do in this series, but the series will be about uh, smoothness and movement smoothness specifically. Uh, why this, why we picked this topic? Um, honestly, it was a, if you, if you, if you followed our previous podcast about power duration with regards to critical power, torque, and speed, uh, if you dig down and if you keep reading and keep trying to learn about specifically the areas of critical torque, um, if you try to le- if you if you learn about that, uh, like like one of the one of the areas you'll come into is a discussion about complexity. And if you keep going and talking about complexity, you'll learn about movement variability. And if you keep going through movement variability, you will learn about movement smoothness. Um, and a really great article discussing, the first one I've ever seen discussing about movement smoothness is one by uh, several authors, but one of them is John Keeley. And it's about smoothness. Uh, and it's called like an unexplored window. Um, and it's it's mostly about running because that's what a lot he writes about running and it's a lot of his articles are really worthwhile reading um but the concept of movement movement smoothness is is very interesting um and it's and to me it's also a very unexplored topic in terms of crossfit and fitness and it's something it's obvious to everyone um once it's pointed out to you but it's never discussed. Um, I, I personally have never heard those words. Smoothness, like other than talk about like doing it smooth, but uh, trying to explain what is smoothness and what isn't smoothness and why do those things potentially occur. It's just something you might not hear, hear right? Um, so quickly we just go through a little, uh, a little intro of smoothness. So again, you're tr- just think of a skill, think of a movement, like classic would be you think of someone like dribbling a ball on a soccer field or like shooting a free throw um, or like hitting a serve in tennis or like even something as simple of a change of a direction in hockey or again on a baseball field or a soccer pitch or something just something even a pivot like that Uh, someone landing off a high box they jump and land and they keep running someone jumping over hurdles on the track event so how does this stuff develop? How does it get to look as good and as effortless and as smooth as it does, right? Um, and it, there's, a, there's a couple of continuums going on here. So let's just pick one skill. Uh, let's pick like, uh, like what, what do I want to do? What movement do you want to pick? <laughs> let's pick something where people do it in their, uh, in their like as, as children. So let's pick running. Just do running, okay? Like if you if you watch if you watch my three year old run, it's quite jagged and, <laughs> and jerky uh, and unpredictable, um, <laughs> and not very long actually. <laughs> but either way, God love her. That's uh, that's how it looks. Um, so with that movement of running and sprinting, you could call it. 
that movement um, will become smoother and smoother as her neuromuscular system uh, and central nervous system develop and become a little a little better. Oh, sorry, more developed. So as she ages and as she develops, that movement will appear more and more smooth. Okay, um, even if she's not doesn't care about running, it's just going to look better and better to someone as to someone as an observer. Uh, and then if, if she like, you know, she's 25, 30 years old, let's say, and she's not practicing this movement, it's still going to look better than if she's five. But that will change when she becomes 70 or 80. Again, the movement will regress backwards, and it's going to become less smooth now as you age. So over the time course of your life, it becomes smoother, and then it becomes less smooth. Um, the best way to create maximal amount of proficiency not proficiency, we'll go over that another time. Smoothness um, is through practice. And everyone, again, this is things that are obvious to people. As you age from childhood to 25 years old, now if you're practicing and trying to be really good at sprinting, um, that's the best possible strategy you have, is to both get older, which you'll do on your own, um, and you practice and practice and practice and have good coaching, good feedback, and that's the best strategy you have to, for developing smoothness. Um, and again, this is not something you have to try. You're not, you don't have to try to develop smoothness. It's going to happen if you do this. There's, but then there's another element to add in here, which is pretty much more, um, I guess, all, I, would, I would assume is more so what we're gonna talk about over the next, I don't know, several podcasts. Um, is what fatigue does to it. Um, so anywhere along this line, this continuum of age from young, from youth to adulthood to uh, senior, um, if you introduce fatigue and extreme fatigue to that local muscle group or to the movement itself, it's going to degrade backwards from smoothness to becoming less smooth. Okay, so there's a couple things you have going on here. So you have age, development continuum uh, you have practice and you have fatigue which is uh, it's a, it, these these things are all going to flow together and are um, and are tightly linked in how this is how, in, in the observation of smooth movement so um, if everyone followed that then you'll be able to follow along with the next parts um, or just kind of keep that in mind right again we'll go one more time as you age from childhood to adulthood Whatever movement you're doing will likely become smoother. As you age from adulthood to senior, it will likely become less smooth. As you practice movements repeatedly to trying to focus to get better at them, regardless of your age, they will become smoother. Um, as you introduce fatigue into the movement, regardless of age, regardless of how much you practice, smoothness will begin to deteriorate. And the rate of that deterioration is hard to say. Um, when it deteriorates, at what level of fatigue per person, it's hard to say, but it's an interesting discussion. So first up, we'll go with Jason. And yeah, just kind of give me anything that comes to mind as to what this topic, like what, what comes to mind as to why you think this is an interesting discussion to have or interesting podcast. And why should anybody like of our eight or nine listeners continue listening? Uh, I, th I think when we start talking about the, the relationship between smoothness and power duration. So when power duration comes into play and you start seeing the, the effects of someone's fatigue, you can start understanding much more clearly what is actually happening. So if someone's been operating at above critical torque for an extended period of time, then 
complexity and their adaptability in their movement will start to drop and you can see that as a degradation in smoothness so it gets more jerky yeah um you, and you and like you're saying that's something you said it before that's something that's outside of the athlete's control mm -hmm. because they've been operating above critical torque for so long mm -hmm. they can't it, the only thing that can happen is they recover some w prime and maybe their smoothness comes back to a degree mm -hmm. um so just understanding how the behavior plays out because of these factors and seeing smoothness understanding that it, smoothness degradation is a loss of complexity yeah like that it's it's fascinating it's yeah. awesome to see it happen and, and actually understand it and it's happening because of fatigue yeah. right so yeah it, it's it, it's so obvious right because everyone that that would do like again tape say kipping pull-ups or butterfly pull-ups probably a better example um <clears throat> or even like um, or even like touch and go power snatches, touch and go power cleans, right? When you first start and you're doing like, you know, let's just say you got to do Randy. So 75 uh, power snatches, or I used to call them barbell swings uh, <laughs> for time, right? So if you watch um, the first 25, I remember it was at the regionals 2015, right? It's so a three bar. I think they had, no, they had three setups laid up. You had to move your bar each time. But like the first 25 generally for people at that level, it just, they all, every rep look kind of good and they look kind of nice and they look kind of smooth. Um, but then as you get, like you just go, if you, if you, if you frame the first 10 reps and then you went back to and watched the last 10 reps, they're going to look somewhat similar, obviously. Um, but you're going to start seeing some people who it, it no it, the movement no longer resembles that fluency and it no longer has that smoothness to it. It has lots of little glitches in it, um, and that's just because like local, like local muscular endurance is occurring, right? Specifically, likely in their forearms or their deltoids, and probably in their quads too. Um, and the problem is, is it's not just they're getting tired; the fatigue is affecting the neuromuscular function, and the observation of that is the jerky movement. Okay. You they, and what Jason was saying, you can't you can't stop it. It's not. It's you, you can't just not do that. It's going to occur when you push a, a complex movement like that, and you start introducing maximal levels of local fatigue in certain movement in certain muscle groups. The muscle group can no longer make the right calculations of how to move in a smooth manner anymore, and that's what we're saying with, with in terms of coaching is that's how you observe like a, a, a lot of fatigue and coaches know this you see it changing the movement changes but the changing is occurring because that area or that movement is pushing certain parts of the body above the critical torque and it's up there for an extended period of time and if you ask the individual they're going to fail soon if they keep doing it the reason they're going to fail is because they're working in unsustainable areas that's why when they've been working unsustainably for a long time the variability of each each repetition or each contraction increases and then it, that also increases the amount of energy required so it just yeah. it's a snowball effect yeah once you know you're close it's like it's gonna happen you're just done you can't you can't magically pound out more reps mm -hmm. so with regards to the same question to scott this topic of smoothness um why do you think it's an interesting discussion Going back to the idea of 
smoothness and ways to affect it and practice being a major one that's one area where we have like a dramatic impact right with our clientele and so that's why i think it's it's interesting most interesting to me and i always just go back to our conversation mike you and i with matt brady and this is first open and he was a very fit guy but he was like still new to crossfit at that time mm-hmm. and it was the event which was toes to bar and dumbbell power cleans and uh, walking lunges i think it was and he like on paper he's more fit than both you and i so he should have beat us in that event and he lost handily to both of us was that 17 2 the dump I think, the i think so lunges and bar muscle yeah yeah that was tough and one. just having that conversation with him as to why the results shook out the way it did mm-hmm. and the fact that you and i have way more experience doing crossfit so our uh smoothness in those movements if you want to call it that mm-hmm. it's just far superior than his and we leaked way less energy and we talked about energy cost specifically in that conversation mm-hmm. with him um and it was just an, like it was a really interesting conversation because he was kind of like oh i get it like i'm really i'm like quite fit and probably arguably probably more fitter than the both of us at that point in time but when you mix in skills or movements that require smoothness and it's not just pure grunt work um, then it shakes out completely differently and so having the ability as a coach to um, affect smoothness through exposure and experience uh, as well as just um, like direct live feedback with with clientele to help them improve movement uh, and smoothness and movement I think is really interesting and something we do every day, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and there's uh, there's a lot to that, right? Because then you had to think of Matt's development in those movements was still ma- immature, mm-hmm. right? Which again, this is why it's an unex the the, <clears throat> the name of the article is like an unexplored window. Like it's just it's it's not discussed. It's because like um and but people know this practically when the movement is not well developed, it's not stable as a skill so the skill performance is not stable meaning that any type of like any type of uh perturbance you put on that movement you're going to create a problem so it's not resistant to any form of fatigue so as soon as you mm-hmm. start changing the like the, the neuromuscular function in terms of it gets a little bit more fatigued the way he's performing that movement now is way too costly mm-hmm because he does, he hasn't refined the movement enough. When the neural drive is just so high, right? Yeah, it's, too, it's too much, right? It's too expensive for one rep, right? Um, and then another interesting topic, which we probably should cover, because we, we uh, I, I alluded to it earlier about proficiency. And uh, one of our one of our uh, one of our clients asked a good question, uh, Kara. She asked about how is movement efficiency different from movement smoothness um and i had an answer for her i'll ask you guys first too um but one of the things to to address here is in uh, one example they give in this article which we'll link uh, the podcast is about the idea of running and how if running was meant to be maximally efficient right so again people would think that the goal is to create maximal efficiency in your movements and that's what your brain is organizing to do um but the argument would be if the, if the goal was to have maximal efficiency in your running, you would basically run straight-legged and you wouldn't swing your arms. 
but your body doesn't do that and you don't adapt to do it that way um and it's because the, what the, the argument is, is that the underlying factors influencing smoothness is not simply energy expenditure. It's not just energy expenditure because expending a bit more energy allows for some other important attributes of smooth movement, namely adaptability and being able to change and adapt to circumstances. And having that little bit of bounce and that little knee bend and that little rotation in the upper body allows the bo- allows the running movement to be much more adaptable. And actual and and what it is, it's smoother and it becomes more predictable for a neuromuscular system. So as the brain tries to make it make it better and better in terms of smoother and smoother, it becomes an easier and easier outflow of information from the brain to make that happen. Okay, that's a lot. But either way, first. How would you think of, let's go to Scotty first this time. How would you think of efficiency as different from uh, smoothness? Because you and I had some little great chats on that. Yeah, so it was really hard for me to kind of separate the two initially. Um, But just in our discussions prior to going live here today, um, I I kind of just revisiting the article that we were talking about in that example you just just gave with the running and the most efficient way to do, to run in theory is to run with straight legs and not to uh, and not to swing your arms at all. But they're talking about that in the context of just running, not with fatigue, uh, even mentioned in, in that in that example at all. So to what you're saying, you introduce fatigue. Um, that most efficient pattern of running is not going to be most efficient for very long, right? And so then smoothness has to come into the picture at that point in time, right? And so with smoothness comes little. Uh, like variations in terms of how you land, how you swing your arms, stuff like that, which allow you, like you said, to adapt as fatigue sets in and continue to adapt to a certain point, right? Um, so, yeah, I think I've I kind of wrapped my head around that concept because originally I was just like, well, movement smoothness and efficiency are synonymous with one another, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I went over that one, I think I read that one point in that article like three or four times because I was like, what did you just say? Mm-hmm. Just trying to make make sense of it. And now it, it makes sense to me mm-hmm. in that in that respect where the more f- the more smooth the movement is, the more variability you have. The more efficient the movement, you don't necessarily have the same amount of variability mm-hmm. and yeah. adaptability. And that's the word. So the variability aspect allows for the adaptability aspect, which really to think about that in terms of like just think of it like your brain is able to provide more answers. Your neuromuscular system can provide more answers to the problems you're asking it to solve, and that being just different movements and different forces and different joint angles. So having smooth practice movement, it's able to solve those equ- solve those uh, problems fast and easily. And there's more ways to solve it. That's the that's what they're talking about, as opposed to what Scott just said, if you have less, less options there, cause you have a really efficient movement, like with the straight leg running, you're really efficient, but you have less options in order to solve that movement. I just think of running, like what if you're, you're, running, you that problem. you're running around town and you're running straight leg and all of a sudden you have to like run off the sidewalk and onto the road <laughs> and you're trying to do that with a straight leg, right? I think I did that last time. <laughs> 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 My 5k the other day. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you know, anyway. There's lots of vari- variations in running itself that would require you to yeah. to be able to adapt. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, she asked a great question. Um, I'll just, I'm actually going to read it out here. So she wrote, 
how would this be different from movement efficiency? Which is honestly, I think it's a, it was a great question. It's a very intuitive question. And I wrote back, uh, at, th at this moment, I would say they're closely related. Smoothness is something that is both observable and potentially measurable. You can observe its presence, degradation, and disappearance. Observing the lack of smoothness could be an indicator of fatigue, resource depletion, and in brackets was utilization of the W prime in power duration terms. And then she asked, for something like CrossFit or a multidimensional sport, would shifting muscle recruitment or changing form count as degradation of smoothness and efficiency? Or she ties them two together, even though it allows for maintained energy economy expenditure. And honest, again, that's it's hard to say exactly because it's not studied well enough. Um, but my like, we would have to go through that. We'd have to talk that out and think that out. Like so. Um, so what like so again, one of the things we mentioned already is that potentially like resource like allocation or energy c conservation is not necessarily the most important aspect that's driving smoothness but it might be that in terms of driving efficiency um that that's that's not on the instagram <laughs> comments if you're looking for that you didn't miss it this is just me thinking um and then, so I said, great question. To my understanding, it goes as follows. Fatigue, central and peripheral, leads to and is coupled with a reduction in neuromuscular complexity, which results in observed reduction in smoothness. Being efficient in this scenario is likely a learned behavior practice, but is separate from smoothness. Um, yeah. I, it's, a, it's a very interesting discussion. Mm -hmm. um, and so, Jason, how would you say that they're potentially different? What comes to mind? Now that myself and Scott took all the good examples, <laughs> I, I, it depends on what how you're defining efficiency for energy expenditure. I think something like if you're running straight legged, let's use this as example. Well, like, hold on, just quickly, you just kind of made it probably a good point. So you can measure the efficiency of running based on the fractal utilization of oxygen, based on a, like on a VO two. So like someone's efficiency in running is improving if their critical speed is improving, right? So if they're able to run faster at the same oxygen cost, right, potentially, um, or if that same speed that they were running before is no longer above the critical speed, it's now below it, they're by definition more efficient runners, right? By definition, they're more efficient runners. And that is one of the measures, okay? But as this person fatigues, the smoothness of the movement will degrade. And if you are running straight-legged, I'm going to just make a little uh, prediction that you're <laughs> going to be operating above critical torque on some very important muscles a lot more than if you're running we, with We'd bending. be designed differently, right, yeah. if we were like so, that. So you would lose complexity in a very specific spot very early in your run, and you would not be able to run very far. There's a lot of different things you could say with the like all the other movements too. So at, at smoothness um, and efficiency, like those those words, I, at having a hard time to define exactly what efficiency is. Um, if you're if you're doing something smooth, you're and efficiently, you're probably spreading out the amount of work that you have to do over more muscles than if you're doing things like straight legged, straight arm muscle ups, like. It's just really freaking hard. You're going to be operating so high above critical torque that your complexity or your adaptability in specific muscles would drop 
dramatically almost instantly. Yeah. So you do one rep. It's very efficient, one rep. Yeah. And it, it, like one example we'll probably use as we go along here um, in, in another episode is like just think about how hard like think about how, if assume you're assume you're a pretty not a great handstand walk uh, you don't have a great handstand walk ability but you're pretty good just think about how smooth it is for you to do your first ten feet and you're going and whatever um, and just think about how impossible that is if you were asked to do a set of fifty thrusters beforehand. I want you to do 50 thrusters with a lightweight, and now I want you to go and make your handstand walk as pretty as possible. Um, <laughs> again, it's you you know, you're like, yeah, my shoulders are tired. Yeah, your shoulders are tired. The deltoids are extremely fatigued, and what that is doing is reducing the adaptability of their control. So when they're trying to adjust and trying to do things in what you're asking, these muscle groups are not able to act in the way you want them to. And this is what you get. You get this jerky leg movement, stiff looking movement. And it's just survival when you're on your hands, right? And that's a test in of itself, right, to see. But what like the only thing that changed is that you added fatigue to the to these muscle groups. And then that there that affected the outflow of that movement that you'd practiced over and over and over and over. Which again, everybody knows this, right? But the point of this is is to point this out to people and go, what's what when you see this occurring, you're likely seeing an extreme amount of depletion of energy. And again, people know this, right? They know that this is probably what it is intuitively, right? It's it's not it's not just fatigue. It's a depletion of energy that needs to be repleted, okay? That's that's what's end up happening here. Did I just cut you off again? No. Okay, were you finished? Okay. Um, it's a hard. It's a hard one to. Make it is. Out. It's yeah. it's challenging. Um, yeah. Okay. So again, to reiterate, the first point of the podcast: um, as you age from childhood to adulthood, your movements will become more smooth. <laughs> As you go from adulthood to senior, it'll be less smooth. As you practice at any age, your movement will become more smooth. As you add fatigue to this movement, at any age, it will become less smooth. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked the episode and know someone else that will, please share it with them as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen. For questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet, send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to optimumperformancecalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. Catch you guys in two weeks.